All right now, how many think it was a fluke? How many think it was a fluke? I got a show of hands. Okay, let's see what happens here. Oh, so close. Let me, let me tell you about that. Okay, let me, let me tell you the truth behind the, the filming of the cone flip. Uh, since that has uh, aired uh, last week, some of you have come up to me and you've told me you're really impressed with my cone flipping abilities. Um, but here's what really happened. Uh, Peter Nelson, who's one of, the, he's, he's one of our production team and he makes all these great videos that we use. He and I and Sam Guy, my name's John Emmert, I'm one of the ministers here for those of you who don't know me. Uh, we were walking around the building and we were trying to get these ideas. And we got the idea for the cone flip. And so I grab the cone and, and I go over to my position and Peter has got his camera and he's getting down in his, you know, Peter cameraman position and I flip it and I mean, first time, it just sticks. And I'm like, that's right. And then Peter's like, yeah, do it just like that. And I'm like, what did you say? He said, yeah, just do it like that. And I'm like, I know, I just did it. Like, that was it. And so he says, no, I wasn't filming. So it was, it was time for take two. And now the pressure's like really on, right? Because like, if I'm really a team, I should be able to just stick it again, right? Um, so he says action and about 20 takes later, maybe 40, I don't know, I finally landed again, confirming which I assumed all the time, uh, I truly am B team. Uh, which maybe, maybe some of you guys have, have felt like that before. Maybe you've been in that place. Um, and that's kind of why we're doing this series, uh, B team. Uh, we're looking at different characters of the Bible that we consider to be B-team, but they're not B-team like me. I'm B-team because of my lack of talent. Uh, they're B-team not because of their lack of talent, but simply because they don't have quite as many words about them in these stories as do some other characters in the Bible. But you got to catch this. Even though these might be minor characters in these stories... They have some major lessons for us. We have to pay attention to these lessons. And I want you to really pay attention today because today's lesson is something that can truly change your life. It's about a topic um, that I think we've all encountered in our life. Let me put it up here on the screen for you. It is common for us to exchange good for worse. It is common for us to exchange good for worse. For example, it would have been good for me to order the salad, <laughs> but I exchanged that for fries, right? It would have been good uh, maybe to stay in, but I decided to go out. Maybe I shouldn't have. Or how about this one? Maybe you've been in this boat. It would have been good for me to bite my tongue, <laughs> but instead I exchanged that for saying it. Yeah, you've been there, right? You, you, we have all experienced this idea that, that it's common for us to exchange good for worse. Why do we do that? What is it that drives us to do that thing where we exchange good for worse? Well, one time I heard uh, Andy Stanley preach a sermon on this topic, and, and he gave a word to it, and I love the word. I want to give it to you. He said it's our appetites. Appetites make us exchange good for worse. We, we got these things within us. As a matter of fact, I got, I got a whole basket of them right here. So here's what I want you to do. As I pull out the appetite that maybe you have, I want you to just kind of give me a, maybe give me a little hand, give me a little nod, me a, just maybe say under your breath, yep, that's me, all right? Just tell the people next to you or maybe look at the person in your group if they, if they haven't admitted it. And I promise you, 
nothing too scary is in here, all right? Nothing, nothing too scary. It's not going to be that bad. Let me, let me whip out the first one here. First of all, I got coffee. How many of us have an appetite for coffee? Yes. Lots of, I got even clapping for that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Coffee's in here. I mean, actually, I'm going to... Okay, that's okay. That's all right. I got another one here. How about looking good, right? Looking good. Anybody got that one? Somebody's pointing at somebody else. Don't do that. You're going to get in trouble. Here's how you know. Here's how you know. It's not because like you spend a lot of time looking at the bathroom mirror or the mirror at the gym. It's because even when you walk by like windows and you catch your reflection, you're like, whoa, hey, let me, let me, let me fix a thing or two in here. Let me see what else I got here. Let's see, I got, I got more coffee still. Coffee people, maybe, maybe not. Yeah, we still got those. That's why I got a clap. How about this? Productivity. Anybody productivity type person? Like you wake up in the morning ready to go. Something's getting done today. Like even, on, yes, we got a few hands and again, some pointing. I'm not responsible for what goes on at lunch today after you all talk about this. Um, but yeah, like even on vacation, you like, I'm getting up and I'm building a sandcastle today. Like I've got something. I am, I'm doing something. What else we got here? We got here cash money like nobody wants to raise their hand but that's all of us right let's be let's be honest here's the thing here's what's funny about this you are either someone who has an appetite for earning it or you have an appetite for spending it right and then you marry each other right that that's that's what happens that's what happens and you um that's fun when you have competing appetites in the home that's a good time i've got i've got more coffee i don't know what's going on here maybe Maybe that tells you something about me. I got coffee going here. Uh, How about this? Prize ribbon, winning. How many of you are winners? Like at all costs, it's going down. You don't care if you embarrass your kids. You don't care if you embarrass your boss. You will lose your job before you lose the golf match, right? This is, this is funny. My, um, that, that's actually my daughter's prize ribbon. It's actually a second place ribbon. You may have noticed it's not blue. Um, she was in the countywide 4-H speech competition and um, she got second place. And it's funny, when she got the ribbon, she said, oh, I'm glad I got that red one. It is so much prettier than the blue one. <laughs> so she, she, may, she may have a little bit of an issue. I got, um, and one last time, let me hear it for my coffee people. One last time, we're all in there together. Here's the thing, uh, you know what I'm talking about. We have these things that drive us to commonly exchange good for worse. And you know what? We usually have that one. And it's probably not coffee. (laughs) It's that thing that just seems to be sort of hanging out in our lives all the time. Each day, it's sort of a thing that maybe we wrestle with. And the question that I want you to wrestle with today as we get into the story is this. Here's the question. Will my appetite convince me to exchange good for worse? That is what we're going to wrestle with today as we get into this topic. Um, Our character, our B-team character, had to wrestle with this. And it was an appetite that drove this person to make the choice that they made. We find it in Genesis chapter 25. And so if you've got your Bible with you, open up to Genesis chapter 25. Go ahead and scroll to it. If you're looking on your phone, Genesis chapter 25. While you do that, let me set this thing up for you just a little bit. This is a story about two brothers, okay? Twins, born on the same day. But they were very different. One was an outside kind of guy. The other was more of an inside kind of guy. One of them 
was a hunt it and kill it kind of guy. The other was a gut it, prep it, and cook it kind of guy. One of them got along really well with dad. The other got along really well with mom. Come to think of it, they could have been an amazing team, right? I kill it, you cook it. I'll find us a place to camp, you make it feel like we're not camping. (laughs) You convince mom to let us stay up late and I'll convince dad. But as is so often the case with brothers, they were less peas and carrots and more oil and water. And here's the thing. They're both to blame. There's, this is not like a, a good guy, bad guy situation. Today, we're going to focus on the mistake of Esau. The, the two brothers are Jacob and Esau. And, and, and let's be clear. Jacob is no innocent person in this story. He chose and decided just as poorly. But Jacob's just a little too 18 for us, so we're going we're gonna to look at Esau today. So we're going to get into this text. Genesis chapter 25, I like having a little interaction, so here's what I want you to do. Those of you who are on this side of the room, including uh, our online community, if you are part of our online community, I want you to read Esau's parts, okay? So when it comes time for Esau's words, you do it. You guys who are over here on this side of the room, I want you to read Jacob's words, okay? So read those as we get to them in the text. Here we go. Chapter 25, we'll start at 29. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished. He said to Jacob, Esau people, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Yeah, first, sell me your birthright. What is this thing, this birthright thing? This is an ancient practice. We don't really do this anymore, so we got to dig into it just a little bit. The birthright was a practice of these ancient families where three things happen when the father, when the dad of the family died. Three things happen, and they all happened to the oldest son. The first thing is this. The oldest son gets a double inheritance. Woohoo! right? So he's thinking, this is cool. Whatever anybody else gets, I get double the inheritance. But there's a catch. You also become judge of the family, which basically means you are the decider of the family. So, so in practical terms, what that means is this. Uh, when it's time to tell mom we're changing the holiday tradition, you got to tell her. When it's time to tell dad that um, we're probably going to need to take his keys, you got to be the one to tell him. Thus, the double inheritance, Right? And some of you are thinking, just keep the money, because I don't want to be the family judge. So there's responsibility that comes along with this idea of birthright. But then there's this third thing. And this is a really mysterious, but really special thing. There is a sacred blessing that happens. And what it means is this. The oldest son and his future family, they are going to be woven into the story of God in a special way. The, the unique story that God is unfolding through history, the son who receives this blessing is going to be woven into that story in a special way. Here's the thing. Esau knew all about this. He didn't have to be taught about the birthright. He understood what the birthright was, and Jacob did too. And Jacob was asking Esau to sell his birthright, the the responsibility, the blessing, the joy for stew. (laughs) 
And we're looking at him and we're like, are you serious? Because what's going on in the story is Esau's thinking about it. Esau is actually considering selling his birthright for stew. And don't you just want to, in this moment, don't you just kind of want to shake him? Like, are you serious? Are you serious, Esau? I mean, think about it, man. Think about it. Years from now, when Almighty God is giving the name of the Lord to humanity, God is going to say to Moses, I'm the father of Abraham. I'm the father of Isaac. I'm the father of Esau, right? How cool would that be? And and generations after that, when the Messiah of the world comes and the story is written about the messiah of the world one of the authors matthew is going to start off his story by saying the messiah comes from the family of esau and you're wanting to give that up for stew are you kidding me who would do that who would give up the responsibility uh, the blessing the future God has for them, for stew. And as we look at it, it hits us, right? Hit me. I've done it. Maybe I'm not alone. I don't think I'm alone. I think, I think we exchange birthright for stew all the time. I think we exchange meaningful relationships for temporary pleasure. I think we exchange time with the ones we love for unrelenting productivity. I think we exchange a kinder, better world for harsh words. Who would exchange birthright for an appetite? We do. We do it for a house of cards, right? We do it for dust. We do it for cut flowers that burn brightly for a few days, but then they soon wither without the steady supply of life that only roots can give. You know what I'm talking about. In that same sermon uh, that, I, that I mentioned before that Andy Stanley gave, he gave a challenge to his people, and I want to give this challenge to you. The challenge is this. It's simple. Don't give up your birthright. For your appetite. Don't give up your birthright for your appetite. That is the big idea today. Now, as we go along, I want to offer to us occasionally some wisdom that might be able to help us with that. But, but the first thing is this. Don't give up the blessing, the responsibility, the future God has for you for an appetite. So, so what is a, a, little, a little piece of wisdom we can, we can acquire from Esau as we come into this moment? Well, here's one that I can give you. Remember that tomorrow's reality is built by today's choices. You know that. Tomorrow's reality is built by today's choices. Uh, the, the, old, uh, the English playwright, John Haywood, he gave us a line that I think a lot of you probably know. Rome wasn't built in... One day, right? Rome wasn't built in one day. But then later, an author came along, James Clear, and he added to it. And it said, Rome wasn't built in one day. However, they laid bricks every hour, right? They laid bricks every hour. People, every day, you are either letting your appetite build you a house of cards or you are laying the bricks of birthright. And I just want to encourage you today to choose 
everyday birthright, responsibility, blessing, joy that God has for you. Let's get back into the story. Let's, let's see what Esau uh, eventually ended up doing. Uh, Genesis chapter 25. We're going to start off with Esau, okay? So you people are still reading to me. Are you ready? We're going to start off with Esau. One, two, three. Look, I am about to die, right? Esau said, what good is the birthright to me? This is funny. I mean, I got to be honest with you. It's a little bit funny. I am about to die. <laughs> Are you really Esau? I mean, because here's the thing. I, I could be wrong. But usually when people are about to die, they don't say, quick, get me some stew. Right? Right? I don't know. Maybe I'm reading this wrong. Some of you are doctors in here. I mean, I, got, I know I've got some doctors in here. Let me ask you, have you had like a situation come up, right? You had a situation where you're like, we, I'm looking at the doctor right now. We got, we got a code blue here. Hurry, get me some Campbell's chunky beef. Stat, Right? You ever had one of those? No, can't remember that happening, right? But our appetites, man, they fool us into thinking. They fool us into thinking that the impact of this decision is different than it really is. In fact, there's actually a term for it. It's called impact bias. And it just means we're terrible at predicting the impact of certain decisions or events. Like, for example, um, we think that if we'll win the lottery, that our lives will be perfect after that. And it, it never works out that way. Um, or even bad things that can happen or difficult, tough things. We think that if we have some kind of physical impairment or something that comes into our life, we think that's the end of joy for us. But over and over again, it's proven it's not the end of joy. But we're really bad at predicting the impact of certain things in our life. And that's what's going on with Esau. He is, he is thinking that that stew is going to have a way better impact than it really is. And he's underestimating what selling his birthright is going to do in his life. Appetite tells us that our need is unbearable and that the gratification will be immediate and that the payoff will be worth it. But we all know when we succumb to appetite, it never works out that way. The little nugget of wisdom, if I can, offer to you today is this. Let's think about this. What doesn't kill you can probably wait. <laughs> what doesn't kill you can probably wait. I'm not asking us to just get rid of our appetites. I know that's too hard. We're going to talk in just a little bit about what we can do, okay? I'm just asking that we incorporate a pause button. Let's just, let's just incorporate a pause button. I know you feel like you got to click on that website. It wouldn't kill you. To just wait. I know you think you have to say that word, that harsh word, but it wouldn't kill you just to wait. Appetites want us to act now, and they want us to do a terrible job at understanding the impact of that decision. And we could all benefit if we simply wait. Let's close out this story. Genesis chapter 25. Jacob, people, it's your turn to do some reading for me, okay? So Genesis 25, we're going to start at verse 39. But Jacob said, swear to me first. So Esau swore an oath to Jacob, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and he drank 
And then he got up and he left. When I kind of picture this story unfolding in my mind, I see Esau hunkered down over this bowl of soup. He's eating like a teenage boy eats, right? Like it's like it's going to get away, so they got to protect it, right? And it's almost as if he's bowing to it. And the scriptures say that, that he, he ate. And then he got up and he walked away. And I think he walked away from a lot more than just the family table that day. There's a poem that I really do like. It's by Dylan Thomas, and it's called uh, Do Not Go Gentle Into That Good Night. Do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. And uh, there's like six more verses. I, I, I don't claim to understand them all. Uh, but whenever I hear the poem, um, it always kind of pumps me up. Right, Because I, I read it and I see this rage against the closing of the day. Like cherish every single day. Get as much as you can out of every day. Don't go you know, softly into the night. But, but it, whatever's trying to steal your future from you, fight against that. Um, this is kind of funny. My workout buddy a, a couple of weeks ago sent me a line from this poem as if to say, hey, look at us raging against old age. We're, we're fetting off the dying of the light. And I will tell you, sometimes you can rage too hard. Like I pulled a, something in my calf muscle a couple weeks ago. So, 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 so don't rage all the time. But sometimes do. When there is something in your life that is trying to steal the future that God has for you, do something about it. Rage against that thing. I wish Esau in this moment would have. I wished that Esau would have looked at Jacob and said, are you kidding me? You want me to give up my blessing? You want me to give up my birthright? You want me to give up the responsibility and the joy and the future that God has for me? First two? No. But he didn't. He bowed and he ate. And a part of him died that day. My call to you this morning is simply this. Do not quietly succumb to an appetite that wants to destroy your future. Do not quietly succumb that wants to the, um, an appetite that wants to destroy the future that God has for you. It is time that we rage against that, that we put a, a line in the sand, that we put a foot down, or maybe we put a knee down on the ground and say, God, I do not want to give in to this. For the future you have for me, for the blessing, the birthright, the responsibility you have for me, I do not want to settle. I don't want to settle for the black and white, humdrum, distorted view of life that my appetite wants to sell me. But I want to wake up to the technicolor, can't wait to wake, clear vision for my future that God wants for me. Do not quietly succumb to an appetite that wants to take God's future away from you. As we uh, wrap things up, I want to do a couple of things. Uh, first of all, I want to give you something you can do this week, a little call to action, and then I'll give you an encouragement. Uh, the call to action is, can be summed up in three words. And I want you to say these words after I say them. The call to action is this. Name, reframe, proclaim. Say that. Name, reframe, proclaim. Here's what I mean by that. Name it. 
what is that thing? <laughs> what is that thing that keeps finding you around every corner and that every day you feel like you got to wrestle with? Name it. This week, write it down. Get concrete. Secondly, reframe it. Here's the thing, and you might be shocked to hear that this, this, this morning. God gives us good appetites. First few chapters of the Bible, God said, it's not good for man to be alone. Relationships, that's a big appetite that a lot of us have. God said, uh, fill the earth, subdue it. Uh, that appetite for productivity is not bad. God gave us work. God said, eat from any tree but that one. He, God gave us hunger. That's a good appetite. But as is so often the case, God gives us good things that we let become distorted. So when I ask you to reframe it, and you look at that thing that seems to be disrupting your life, ask the question, what is the good desire God has put in my heart that has become distorted in my life. That's how we reframe. Name it, reframe it, proclaim it. And the last one is simply tell somebody. Proclaim it. We are not meant to carry these things alone. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a small group leader. Maybe it's Lisa Blankenship here at the church. She can get you in, ton, uh, in touch with uh, wonderful counselors. If there is someone you need to tell, you need to talk to about it, then I encourage you to do that. I want to end today with an encouragement because here's what I know to be true. There are some of you sitting in this room today who are saying, John, I wish I would have heard this five years ago. I wish I would have heard this 20 years ago. John, it's too late. I want you to understand that there is a reason we gather every Sunday and the reason is this hear me now there is one who says you can be born again there is one who says you can exchange bad for good old life for new life that hopelessness that you thought was yours to carry for all of your life can be exchanged for rebirth and a new birthright. There is one who says you can be a new creation. <laughs> that house of cards that maybe, yeah, maybe did get built in your life and came crashing down. It is not your home for forever. You can be a new creation with a life built upon the solid rock of Jesus. No wind can crumble. There's one who says you can exchange bad for good. That one is Jesus. We can exchange a life given to appetite for a life given to Jesus. And so if that is you this morning, what I want to do as I close is I simply want to lift a prayer for you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this truth that we have this morning. Thank you that you knew. 
You knew we were prone to wander. You knew we were prone to identify ourselves with our appetite. And you have delivered a new message. We are not the end result of our appetite. We are children of God who has a birthright and a future for us. And I pray that the one in this room today that needs to hear that knows your love and your forgiveness and your wisdom available today. Thank you for rebirth. Thank you for new creation. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that I pray. Amen.